What's up, everybody? Welcome to the 76th draft of the Untitled Movie Podcast. I am one of your hosts, Matt Rohrbeck, alongside, he's allergic to tomatoes, but he's tomato meter approved, Eric Marchin. I am, at last, the tomato meter mater. Yes, this is the first time. One and two. (laughs) Um, Which would probably, I'm assuming, get a rotten from you on there. Um, Yeah, yeah. huge news. Like, this is the first time we've tweeted about it. People who follow us probably saw us uh, talk about it. But I think this is the first time uh, on a show we were able to talk about it. Um, Congrats, man. That's, That's fantastic news. I know we've talked about it off off air and stuff but rotten um, tomatoes has finally lowered their standards enough to accept <laughs> me shut up uh no i think it's a really cool moment man like i i i tweeted this out and i know you know we can kind of laugh at you know rotten tomato score has just been it is such an important i think like cultural thing now it is where i know it's an aggregate it's not necessarily it's a little confusing on what it means some people take it is it like a Oh, 65 out of 100 means that it's a 65 out of 100. So it's a 6 out of 10, which isn't necessarily what a Rotten Tomatoes score means. It just means 65% of the people who watched the movie gave it, you know, a positive review. Uh, But that could be a, you know, a 3 out of 5 or a 5 out of 5, right? Like it varies. So, but I've always, I, I think it's a huge deal, dude. And I'm just very proud of you. And congratulations. I think it's, uh, an, an awesome kind of, you know, uh, a showcase that like you are part of that, you know, important aggregate for, uh, for culture in, in film. And I know there are a lot of people on there and, and you deserve to be on there a long time ago. And I just think it is the coolest thing that you finally, uh, are, are welcomed into that group. I will give that kind comment a fresh review. <laughs> um, yeah. And, and, and I'm just thankful also just to like anybody that, you know, said, Oh, congratulations or, or what have you. It's, it's really nice to, kind of just be considered and, and know that maybe the work does matter, you know, to some extent. And also just, you know, having both Rogers TV and Cinema Scene and, and, and Untitled Movie Podcast on there as outlets and a, a way to sort of, you know, uh, vindicate and, and, and sort of bring a little bit of, uh, um, you know, authentication to the whole um, process that we've been doing. And it just shows that people like maybe are, either listening or paying attention and that, you know, like we, you know, we're, we're trying each and every week to release new content and, and have, you know, conversations that are, are meaningful and whether they be five to 30 minutes for a review or, you know, doing an interview with, you know, uh, a composer or somebody that is, you know, within the industry as a programmer or, or someone as an exhibitor, like all these things are, are, you know, we love doing them. They're not, they're not work to us and we want to continue to, um, you know, provide content that we think is both, you know, high quality, but also just, you know, a thoughtful conversation that feels real. Like we don't want something to feel that it's, you know, mass processed or, you know, something that's vetted in the editing of, of putting these things out there. And, and, and I think having these conversations and, you know, the, the, the little rough around the edges qualities of us, you know, whether we, you know, mispronounce something or or screw up on something but always kind of are able to keep the show going like adds to that and and i think you know over the years you know having done the rogers thing since 2006 and you know looking back in the last 13 14 years of all of this it's 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 been really exciting to kind of you know 
get into, you know, film criticism, but also know that like, again, people, you know, are, are watching and paying attention. And I guess what I'm trying to say overall is, is thank you. I, I, I have a hard time taking compliments, but it, no, it, no, no, it is appreciated. And you brought up the word validation. And I think that's interesting. Like, I don't think we're ever looking for validation um, on anything. Like, like you said, we do this cause we love it and we really appreciate when people send us messages or, or just listen um, in general to any show that we do. And that's why we try to do something for everyone, whether it's a review or a conversation or this long form kind of nonsense that we do on this show. Um, and validation is just, it feels nice to be validated, right? Like it's not necessarily something that you're fishing for or you're looking for, but when it comes around, whether it's, you know, you getting into the uh, Broadcast Film Critics Association or now the Critics' Choice, uh, uh, I don't know what they're calling it now, Eric. Sorry. It's Critics' I, Choice, I yeah. Just, yeah. Critics' Choice or now Rotten Tomatoes. Like, it, again, those are just cool things that happen. It's not necessarily like we need this to be, to make ourselves be taken seriously. It's just a nice validation um, especially for you, who's given it your all, like you said, for the last 14 years. And, um, I've, uh, and you've been all in head on, like reviewing shit every single week for basically that entire time. And, um, mind you, I've dipped in and out and, um, but I've, I've, re- I feel like we really found a groove with, with this and you've been, you've been crushing it for, you know, I said for a decade and it, like you said, it's been, uh, 14 years actually so almost a decade and a half and uh you've grown so much and i just know from the second i i met you who you are already a great film critic and a great host um but just i think the evolution of, of you know your style and your hosting ability and your podcasting ability i think is just um has been wonderful to kind of see grow and then seeing something uh, like Rotten Tomatoes is just that thing that I just, I don't know. I never expected either of us or this show to show up on there or a review show. Um, and then that's nothing, I guess, slight against you or a slight against me. Um, <clears throat> I just never, you know, I, we do this, this isn't work to me. I don't feel like this is a job. I know we are reviewing stuff professionally and we, you know, have screeners and we go to screenings and all that jazz, but half the time it's me just talking to my best friend about movies, which we would have been doing anyway. Um, so when something like a rotten tomatoes comes through and, um, I think it's just, it's such an important thing for culture in general. Like everyone knows rotten tomatoes and everyone knows the tomato meter score. So for you to be a part of that, I still think is like a huge accomplishment. And, um, I can't wait to see what the first review will be where you are the only person who gives it a negative. review. <laughs> right. Yeah. I, I haven't put anything up there yet. I'm it, it's, it's one of those things where it's like, again, like I'm, I'm really excited to get started, but at the same time, it's like, and, and again, I'm, I'm completely grateful for being accepted. And I understand that there are a lot of people that, you know, are as worthy or even more so. And it, you know, the, the, the vetting process takes time and, and it's, it's a, you know, hard to get in. Um, but it's just like, in terms of like where, when I got it, it's like, we're just about to start TIFF, you know, we're, we're, we're doing a ton of reviews and watching right now. So it's kind of like, okay, what am I going to, what's going to be the first review that I post on there? And I haven't quite decided yet, but I think I'll start, you know, this week. So maybe reviews for the nest and the broken galleries, uh, Club. Broken Hearts Gallery, yeah, yeah, <laughs> already fucked it up. <laughs> no, don't um, write that on your review. Um, I'll feel no, like yeah, one of those older critics that just does not know what they're yeah. saying. Nah, you go in and you'll upload stuff, and it'll be kind of cool to see your little um, what quote you pick to put for your little fresher rotten kind it, of thing. It'll just be, it was good, it was okay. <laughs> every, every quote is just like 
I, I don't know. It's fine. Um, but that's, that's super awesome, man. So congratulations again. Um, I can't wait to kind of seeing both this show and, uh, uh, and Rogers TV and cinema scene pop up on there and see what your, uh, I mean, I know all your opinions on this half the time they come from this show or, or the review show. So, but it'll be fun to see it pop up or, uh, see which movies you fall into the majority, or if you're going to splat some movies for everyone. Um, it'll be kind of fun. I think it'll be interesting to see what I splat. Um, but again, like I'm not interested in just kind of, you know, giving a movie a, a negative review or positive review based on, um, you know, having it in the fresh or negative column or becoming a contrarian. Like, you know, if, if, if a <laughs> no, movie no. is good as I think every movie deserves its day in court, you know, and, and, um, to be criticized or to be, you know, praised or both and, 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 you know, negative or positive. So it'll be, yeah, it'll be interesting to see kind of where I fall into all this and, and hopefully, you know, as as we get into a flow i'll also be able to you know put some stuff on there that maybe doesn't get a lot of attention like specifically some canadian films i feel like i'm at an advantage there where you know there are a, a few canadian film critics there's on there but but a lot of canadian content isn't covered um and so to have you know some smaller movies that might be worthy of having that those you know eyes kind of be drawn to them is is exciting as well and like what what is something that i could actually support that i find is worth supporting you know yeah that's cool man yeah i'm excited <clears throat> and the most interesting thing i'll find is those movies that fall in that three category i want to see if you're gonna put because those are the movies that i think could go either way right yeah do you, could you splat them or could you f- give that a little fresh tomat yeah because i mean a lot of those movies are in general i think middle of the road where it's like oh yeah it's it's fine for what it is but like for example tenet like tenet's the perfect example where i think that that would be a splat because it was yeah. more of a disappointment than anything else but you're giving it a three where something else you gave a three recently you might have said fresh because you're like oh uh, that's that's what i think is fascinating uh when it comes to the tomato meter and, and things like that because yeah tenet could fall either way uh, there are a couple other movies that I think a three can be a positive three or a negative three. Yeah, I'm just looking up to like see what like the last thing I gave a three on the show was. Um, Probably Tenet, right? Or yeah. well, Tenet was yeah, but Tenet would be my 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 splat three because it's it's more of a film that I think had higher expectations and was ultimately more disappointing. Where I'm just looking at this now. Uh, if I were to throw, throw in, say, for example, Dave Franco's The Rental, which I also gave yeah. a three to, I think that would be positive because I think for what the movie, what that movie is trying to do and what it is, it succeeds. And it's a modest success in sort of playing within the genre and playing within um, slasher film tropes. Um, yeah. So, yeah. It just goes to that mixed positive versus mixed negative, right? Yeah, so, exactly. Um, which I think is is interesting. So, anyways, can't wait to see what you put up there and uh, – and uh, how you affect different ratings. <laughs> I can't wait. Um, I guess I did an intro. Uh, hey, everybody. Uh, this is the Untitled Movie Podcast. Each and every week, Eric and I get together. Uh, not Maybe not each and every week, but a lot of weeks. We put out content every week on our plethora of – on the trilogy of Untitled Podcasts. Um, on this podcast, Eric and I just kind of shoot the shit for, you know, an hour to two hours just talking about, you know, what's going on in our lives as well as uh, what's going on in the entertainment industry. 
Um, we also have a couple other shows that we would love for you guys to check out. So we have a review show called Untitled Movie Reviews, where we have new reviews up for right now for things like uh, Boy State, Class Action Park, uh, I'm Thinking of Ending Things, Mulan, uh, The New Mutants, Tenant, uh, tons of content over on that channel. And we're coming up to uh, TIFF 2020, which I can't believe it, Eric. This is sort of our TIFF preview show a little bit too, even though we've done other ones in the past that yeah. covered the whole... That co- we'll talk a little bit about TIFF coming up in our plans. Um, but yes, uh, keep it locked on Untitled Movie Reviews. Eric and I will have reviews up for probably between 10 and 15 individual TIFF films, which is you know a 20 to 25% of the entire um, uh, program this year. Um, and then Eric um, does have an industry badge, so he'll be seeing a little bit more than uh, than I am. I, I bought individual tickets this year. Uh, we weren't accredited. That's uh, uh, something I don't think we've talked about on the show, which is totally cool. I understand it's a weird year. They don't owe me anything. Uh, I'm, I'm happy to support them and buy some TIFF tickets and uh, support the festival in a, uh, in a very strange time um, where I think they probably need the support um, more than ever. Um, so I bought, I think 11 or 12 movies, probably going to see a few on top of that. And then Eric will see probably uh, a buttload or as many as you can. Yeah. Um, in depending the comfort on of my that, own home in my underwear. Yeah. Yeah. Depending on how that whole thing goes. Right. Cause it, it'll be an interesting year. Cause we don't really know how the P and I process will work. Um, how many movies you could probably log into to have access to. So it'll be interesting to see what happens and, um, either, or there's 10 to 15 movies we will be covering. Uh, we can send the list somewhere. I can even read it out on the show later. Draw me to, I can um, look it up right now. Actually, uh, this is inside baseball. Uh, I went over to Matt's place recently. Um, and he was kind enough to create a, uh, Excel sheet for me and break down, uh, everything that's screening in the P and I section, um, which is very helpful. Cause I mean, unfortunately Tiffer this year doesn't have, or at least at the moment as we're recording, doesn't have uh, the P and I schedule with the public schedule. So looking at uh, some of the films that we will be reviewing, um, we have another round one night in Miami, uh, get the hell out pieces of a woman, penguin bloom, nomad land falling summer of 85 uh, Good Joe Bell, Concrete Cowboy, The Waterman, Shadow in the Cloud, and that is it. But also on top of that, if we if we we're, we're adding some bonus content for you guys, uh, we didn't realize that a uh, the Su- Sudbury Film Festival, right? Yeah, that the Sudbury Film Festival, Cinefest Sudbury, Cinefest Sudbury is happening almost right after TIFF. It literally is right after it. <laughs> yeah, and so for those those two weeks, they also have digital screeners of movies that would probably be p- playing at TIFF if it weren't for the pandemic and the c- more curated lineup that TIFF had to create. So we'll be reviewing movies like Christian Petzold's Undine, uh, Black Bear, which played at Sundance and stars uh, Christopher Abbott and Aubrey Plaza, um, Nine Days with Winston Duke. Um, uh, my Salinger year. So we have all these, you know, these films that we'll be reviewing afterwards and, and, you know, hopefully doing reviews individually for them as well. Yeah, that was a super exciting. You came over and we did the TIFF schedule stuff. And then you told me about this Cinefest Sudbury thing. And we popped on their uh, website, not really knowing anything other than the Petzold movie, uh, which we planned on, on buying a digital, uh, 
ticket to. Um, and we found all those other films and I've been going through that lineup as well. And some other things have in, in, intrigued me. There's a Riz Ahmed movie that um, I kind of maybe want to buy a ticket to as well. Um, and they're only $10, which is fantastic. So $10 and you can stream it at home. There's an Apple TV app. It seems super, super easy. Um, they have some crossover with TIFF uh, stuff. I think the Vinterberg movie is there as well as a couple other ones like I Am Greta. The um, Truffle Hunters. The Truffle Hunters. Uh, there's a few more. There's some crossover there. They're playing Ammonite, but it's in cinema only um, at the Cinefest Sudbury, which is sort of not necessarily what they're doing in Toronto, but um, it's playing Lightbox. And then there's very limited amount of space for Ammonite on digital because uh, Francis uh, uh, Lee, Lee uh, did not really want it to play uh, digitally, uh, which I mean, hey, it's his film. He uh, That's uh, totally fair. Um, but yeah, it's, it's going to be an exciting, uh, couple of weeks. It's a bit of a weird year. Like you mentioned, we're going to be watching stuff in our underwear and, <clears throat> um, probably not le- Well, maybe legitimately our underwear. I said, I'll live off cherry Coke zero and M&M peanuts. I might put a out of order sign on my, uh, staircase as well as, uh, have a cutout of, you know, Cameron Bailey or, or Peter Koplowski or, uh, or, or whoever <laughs> just standing beside my TV, maybe, um, We'll see. I don't know. Uh, maybe I'll have someone, I'll get Sarah or Nevis um, to come into my screening and leave three minutes in um, just so I have that PNI experience. <laughs> so um, things like that. So maybe go on their phone and check their emails for a couple minutes and I can't say anything because it's a PNI screening. Um, but uh, I'm excited nonetheless. Yeah, same. It's it. It is going to be a strange experience, but you know, hopefully, we'll also watch a couple movies together, and we'll get a little bit of that, you know, camaraderie between a couple film critics. But yeah, it it'll it will be kind of one to remember, not necessarily in 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 the most positive of ways, but at least you know we can say that we attended or partook in what TIFF twenty twenty was. Um, and, and it is interesting as well, because like right now, as, as we're recording, Venice is going on the Venice Film Festival and, you know, there, there are some, there is some overlap there and, and, you know, you are seeing, you know, people like Kate Blanchett, who's, uh, the head of the jury, you know, walking the red carpet, taking off her mask when, you know, it is safe to do so, or when she feels safe to do so. Um, but it, it is fascinating to see that version of a festival happen in Italy, um, especially when, you know, Europe was hit the hardest to begin with, especially in uh, Venice and in, in in Italy as a whole. So, you know, it's in, and with New York coming up soon after Toronto, um, the fall festival season is present, but the way that it's unfolding is very much a new beast and it feels like a wild west in a lot of ways. And I wouldn't be surprised if that first day of the fest that the people working, you know, in the, you know, help centers for TIFF will be overrun with comments. Yeah. I hope it goes smoothly for them. Um, I saw someone be like, we need to buy a drink for the TIFF help people. Cause uh, the ticket process, I mean, was same as, you know, years past where it's kind of a, a bit of a shit show because everyone's trying to get tickets at once, but there's still lots of tickets available too. So if you guys go check out, there's tons of digital, um, digital screenings left because the capacities there are probably, I would assume pretty close to 
you know, big premieres, multiple screenings at the festival. So um, I know it's a bit expensive. It's between 19 and $26 for one film. But um, like we mentioned in the episode with Peter Kaplowski on Untitled Movie Conversations, which I haven't plugged yet, uh, which is our third podcast we launched recently where we have interviews with, you know, people around the industry. Our most recent interview is with Jay Wadley, who is the composer for uh, I'm Thinking of Ending Things, the Charlie Kaufman film on Netflix. Amazing conversation with him. Go check that out on podcast services everywhere right now untitled movie conversations uh but something we brought up with peter was like this might be an opportunity for people outside of toronto who could never travel in um to maybe experience tiff for the first time and uh, i believe the movies are still going to have intros from you know the programmers as well as q a's for certain films um i think pre-recorded but at the end of each film so I can just shut it off instead of having to run out of a theater. But will we uh, get those L'Oreal ads? I hope we have. I think we will. You won't in your P&I. I think with the public screenings, air quotes, that I'm going to, I hope they have all the same TIFF ads that you would get in a theater. I want that experience, you know? I can clap along by myself. Um, I hope Peter in, just yells R over... Uh, <clears throat> you know, the beginnings of the Midnight Madness stuff, but... But Lillian, mm. how will you live? <laughs> yeah, I, I guarantee we'll be getting all of that shit because you know that they have to have sponsors still, right? So I feel like we'll still get all that stuff. So it'll be interesting to see how that is. And I'm curious to see how, you know, the are there going to be watermarks? I'm assuming there's watermarks on these movies, which I know a lot of people might not get, might not be used to as well. So you're paying a premium for a movie, I'm curious where that watermark placement is and, and, who's, how... and whose name will be on it. Could you it'll imagine be... Aaron <laughs> Bailey's name just across the screen? <laughs> no, it'll probably be tied to your account, right? So I'm wondering if people aren't going to be used to that kind of stuff. Cause I, I, you have to think that there's going to be a watermark on there. Um, and I think a lot of people are going to be in for a surprise and they're paying 19 to $26 and there's a watermark. But back to my point, if you're outside of, Toronto and you've wanted to experience TIFF, you can kind of do that from your home right now. And there's still a lot of great movies or seemingly great movies uh, that are on sale for on the digital platform. So um, I know it's expensive, but um, it's it's worth it, guys. Like it's fun. And I know it's not the same because you're sitting at home, um, but I, I really would suggest maybe just get one or two movies and spend the 50 bucks or whatever. And have a taste of TIFF um, and uh, and support the festival because I think these places um, need it right now too, right? Because like it's been a tough year and I know it's been tough for a lot of businesses, but um, uh, you know, my fiance got laid off from TIFF earlier this year and um, <clears throat> they had to lay off a bunch of people and you, you'd hate that if that continued and you'd hate like it's already a shitty situation what happened and it, and you don't want more people to lose their jobs and you don't want a festival that we love to go away either. So that's why I like all this conversation about, you know, press. Um, I know everyone's situation is different. Not everyone can fork out, you know, money to cover an entire film festival or something like that too, especially people outside of Canada, the, the screening rights uh, are a bit weird, but uh, I don't know when I, when I didn't get press this year, they warned everyone that, Hey, very limited numbers this year. Uh, we're sorry, but we can only let in a select few. So, and I, I know I'm not, we're not big shots by any means, even if you're on Rotten Tomatoes. Um, How dare you? How dare uh, you? 
So I'm totally fine with them going, hey, Matt, we can't give you press accreditation this year. And you're always fine, Eric. You've always been great in being like, hey, I don't mind supporting. Like, I'll buy an industry badge if I need to. And and eventually, if that transitions over to press, fantastic. Um, and I used to buy industry as well. So like, I don't mind supporting the festival, especially like... I'm not bitter at all that they'd be like, you can't have a press badge. And then I'm going to be like, well, I'm not going to cover the festival at all then. And I'm like, no, I, I love this festival and I want to support it. So I was always so gracious and, and, and grateful for them to, you know, give a badge to me whenever I got one. So I'm, I'm I'll gladly give them the two to $300 for the movies that I'm going to watch. Um, uh, especially what they've given me in past just to, you know, cover their festival and bring some ears and eyes onto you know, I think one of the greatest events uh, in the world, really. Like, I love this festival, and I know you do too, man. So that's why it's it's so weird this year. And yes, it's complicated because I don't love all the decisions that were made with the layoffs and the announcements, and um, it, it's tough. But I, I really do want to see them succeed or at least get by, if that makes any sense. Like, I hope their costs are down because they or they're not bringing people in and blocking streets off and renting venues and and all that stuff. So I hope they can kind of make enough money to kind of just hopefully coast until knock on wood back to normal next year. But we'll see. Yeah, because it's also important for. Ontario in general, the province of Ontario and Toronto, it brings a lot of business for those two weeks. I know it can be a pain for a lot of people that are, you know, working nine to five and, you know, King Street being blocked off for that first weekend and, and, you know, elevators and, and, and escalators not working. But it, there's a sense of community through film criticism and, you know, the idea of, you know, small businesses and, um, people being supported throughout those two weeks and and that is going to be missing and it'll be also fascinating to see how online reactions work to um, a lot of movies because you look at Venice and Telluride even though Telluride's not happening in really any capacity this year with the exception of the um, co-sponsored screening of, of Nomadland in, in uh, New York um, there's that public perspective of the festival that is always i think important because you're actually getting to see how you know somebody that maybe not a film critic reacts to a movie and i mean like how the people's choice award works this year is is really going to be interesting to see you know what of this small curated group of films ultimately ends up being voted as the number one movie, whether you agree or disagree with films of the past. I mean, a lot of, you know, there's a lot of contention with movies like Jojo Rabbit and Green Book more recently, but those conversations now and what that will look like uh, in, in the next two weeks or so as, as we move into the festival, I think are going to be really interesting because obviously it's going to be from a much smaller, you know, pool of films to, to look at and how, you know, beyond film Twitter, people react to certain movies and, and will people be able to sort of access and get online uh, on the website and navigate, um, you know, the, the, the media platform um, the way that Tiff is hoping. All these things are, are questions and I'm sure Tiff is still stressing out a little bit <clears> for how this is going to work because this is new territory for the film festival. And will this change it, you know, moving into years ahead? I mean, that's another thing as well, where I, I do hope that there will be a return to, 
you know, normalcy in, you know, 2021 or 2022, whatever that might be. Um, But it will be interesting to see how the festival evolves or changes, you know, moving on from this strange, unfortunate year and 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 you know having to adapt to the situation has been very um interesting to sort of just observe from you know a critic and sort of just you know a a civilian point of view yeah man very well put uh all right let's move on to uh what have you been watching my dude well, Matt, I have been docking like it's hot recently uh, because I'm a part of the Critics' Choice uh, Documentary Committee. So I have been just kind of shoveling docks into my face, watching uh, everything from the great auteur filmmakers like Ron Howard um, to the kind of smaller but also still fascinating movies. So I'll kind of go through... Um, these movies quickly i don't want to not give them their due but at the same time i'm watching a lot so it's a lot to talk about but i think at the same time we could probably cover a couple of these in in the weeks or months to come as they are uh released but i'm just looking up uh my uh diary on letterbox right now yeah you can just kind of uh you know speed round through them if you want yeah the two movies i will say or, or the three films there are three movies that i would highly recommend uh, one is available right now, actually, on uh, Amazon Prime in Canada. Um, I'm not sure about uh, the US, but it is also available on, on Blu-ray and DVD and on iTunes. Uh, is a film called Rewind, and it's from director Sasha Joseph Newlinger, who explores his own... Ab- he was sexually abused as a child, and he explores it through these old video um, recordings that he had it as a kid. And the story is horrifying and depressing, but at the same time, such a compelling narrative put together. Like it's obviously very much borrowing from dear Zachary. Um, You see that, you know, like he grew up in a household that was supposed to be loving and caring and what have you. And, you know, his mom and dad are are great. But on his dad's side of the family, um, his dad's two brothers and his one uh, nephew are pedophiles. And his own father was abused by them. And he didn't realize that, you know, that abuse would then eventually culminate in them attacking Sasha as, as a child. Um, it's one of the most heartening and disturbing watches, but at the same time, there is something that is kind of where the movie ends up is, is not, I don't want to say inspiring, but there is a sense that, you know, like Sasha, who is at around our age will able to move on with his life um, in, in a productive and meaningful way. And that, you know, he's not defined by this horrible abuse that he faced as a child. Um, but it is a really, really powerful piece of filmmaking. That is a lot of archival footage and him kind of facing, you know, the, the, the child that he was, because when he was a kid, you know, from ages, you know, one to four, he was bright, gifted, you know, a lot of people thought that he was so articulate and, and wise beyond his ears. And then as soon as he hit, you know, first grade, you see this kind of withdrawn child who became more hyperactive and 
eventually suicidal. And it's disturbing to watch that stuff. But again, I think it's a very powerful watch. Um, the other two films that I would highly recommend um, are also have a melancholy aspect to them. But one's more positive overall is Kristen Johnson's Dick Johnson is Dead, which is a Sundance Film Festival movie. It's going to be streaming on Netflix at the beginning of October. Uh, Kristen Johnson also directed uh, Camera Person, which I think is one of the best movies of the last 10 years. I think it's one of the best documentaries of the last 10 years where it's a mosaic of her work as a documentary uh, camera person um, mixed in with her mom suffering from uh, Alzheimer's. This is a movie that is basically her father who is showing early signs of Alzheimer's and agrees to make a documentary about, you know, all the ways that he could die. It's macabre and morbid, but has that gallows humor and is also very emotionally heartfelt. Um, I can't recommend it enough. The reenactments are funny and again, you know, just really cathartic for both of them because it's a movie where, you know, Johnson, Kristen Johnson's narration, you know, she doesn't want to face that her father is going to go through something that her mother did and, you know, that they weren't ready. That family was not ready for it. And this time they're, they're still not even though that they've gone through it once before. And the father is just so warm. Uh, see Dick Johnson. He's such a kind hearted man that when you, you're watching this guy, you know, talk about his experiences as he's kind of, you know, losing his memory and, you know, spiraling into what is essentially, you know, uh, an emptiness and, and, and sort of losing those memories is, is so, there's it just makes you think about like if 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 you have somebody in your life whether it be a parent or grandparent that's going through those emotions right now you just kind of can't help but get emotional watching the, those the, those sequences and again I can't recommend it enough. The other movie that I think is is amazing is a Romanian film called Collective which is about uh the collective fire and the subsequent investigation into um Romanian hospitals and hospital managers and the government basically um, taking advantage and cutting costs specifically um, with cleaning products and, and diluting them and how this uh, sports gazette basically is the one that um, investigates what's going on and exposes the corruption and how you have a new minister of health come in trying to make a difference. We were talking about boy state. And the idea that, you know, some people have this idea, this notion that when they come in, they can really change things and, and move the status quo to the, you know, the progressive side of things and how this guy who used to be a uh, civil uh, activist for um, patients is doing everything he can to, you know, make sure that the they're getting ahead of the scandals and also trying to correct the wrongs of the past is just basically, you know, treading water. Um, it's not a great looking movie, but as a procedural, as a thriller, the way that the story unfolds is not only fascinating, but some of the most important, I think, documentary journalism I've seen in recent years. So highly recommend all of those. I know I've been blabbing on a bit, so I'll just quickly run through. I saw The Social Dilemma, which is also going to be available on Netflix soon. It looks at our addiction to social media. Um, it's 
it's a good movie. I think that they're, it's basically saying everything we already know about how, you know, companies like Facebook and Instagram are basically, you know, turning us into zombies, but it does so from the point of view of former creators and, you know, founders and heads of these companies, which I think is really interesting. I watched the Ron Howard, um, paradise, California, uh, campfire fire, um, documentary first 10 minutes of this film are amazing it's all archival footage of the events that happened in november of 2018 as paradise um burnt and and over 85 lives were lost and how subsequently um you know the families and people that were living there were trying to rebuild and return and how the the hardships and struggles of a year and a half of that kind of you know tested a lot of people so Again, a lot of interesting stuff, but Dick Johnson is Dead, Collective, and Rewind are the three that I would highly recommend uh, of the docs that I have seen so far. Um, They are definitely up there. And and, and as I already mentioned, I know you rented it, Matt, but uh, Bloody Nose, Empty Pockets, I think is still hands down my favorite movie of the year. I purchased it, actually. And you'll hear that uh, in a little bit on our digital picks of the week. Um, That's dope, man. Yeah, you've been... uh, uh, a doc master the last, uh, you know, a couple of weeks. All I, 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 obviously we talk outside of the show. Um, and, do we, uh, do we, Matt? <laughs> and you've just been watching docs nonstop. Uh, for me, I haven't watched too, too much. Um, I've been, I don't know. I just haven't been actually everything I've been watching has been, we put out a lot of reviews. So like we mentioned, we had reviews up for boy state class action park. I'm thinking of ending things, Mulan, new mutants, tenant. So everything I've been watching has kind of been, uh, for work or for the show. Um, so I haven't watched a ton. Otherwise I watched the OG Mulan, uh, which we talked about a little bit in our review. So I don't need to go too into detail there, but, uh, enjoyed revisiting it. Um, it, it had been probably, you know, 20 plus years since I'd seen it. I probably saw it like in the late nineties when it came out, uh, when I was younger and hadn't rewatched it since. So it was fun, kind of nostalgic kind of trip going back to watch that. Um, I watched Ava. Uh, which is the Tate Taylor, uh, you know, action thriller starring Jessica Chastain, John Malkovich, uh, uh, and uh, um, Colin Farrell. Colin Farrell. I was going to say Clive Owen for some reason. It sounds like a movie Clive Owen would be in, uh, but it's Colin Farrell. Uh, great cast. Um, we're going to review it, I think, because the American release date is uh, at the end of September. So we got an early VOD release here in Canada through VVS, I believe. You would be um, correct. And uh, I, I won't go too into it because I want to hear uh, Erica watch it and we'll get both of our opinions. But um, it's great cast, but pretty much the movie you'd expect it to be, um, which is neither here nor there. So I don't know. I'm mostly indifferent on it, but we'll talk about it. Um, uh, a TIFF movie we didn't mention before because it was a short, uh, but we're going to try to fit it in somewhere. Eric and I watched our first TIFF 20 film of the year, which was a short called uh, the uh, archivists or archivists, um, which is a short film um, uh, playing uh, in shortcuts. Number one uh, this year or number two, I should have the details. I tweeted this out. Um, I want to make sure I get it right. Cause um, it's excellent. And Eric and I will talk about it on our, 
uh, our wrap up uh, or our daily kind of roundups of the festival, but, and we'll go more into detail and I don't want to spoil too much about it, but um, yeah, it's uh, the director's name is Igor Draka. Is that how you pronounce his last name? Draka, I believe. Uh, Yeah. He also directed the waiting, the waiting room. And it's in, I'm looking at your, um, your tweet right now. It's in shortcuts program three on September 13th. Program three. Thank you. September 13th shorts program three, the, uh, archivists, um, really loved it. Shot in 16 millimeter, gorgeous go in, not really knowing anything about it, I think. And I think you'll really, really enjoy it. Yeah. For, for a film that is a a post-apocalyptic dystopian, you know, movie, it, is weirdly uplifting <laughs> and kind of fun, right? Yeah. yeah. Uh, really, really dug that. So um, we'll talk about it more. Like I said, um, sorry, everything I, I'm saying I watched, we'll, I'll say we'll talk about more later, but we want um, people to at least, you know, like that's, that is a short that, you know, like if you're looking at those programs, highly recommend it. It's, it's really good. Agreed. And then finally I finished uh, episode three of season two of the boys uh, last night. So uh, it, the boys season two premiered on Amazon prime on this past Friday. Um, the first three episodes are up and then it'll be weekly um, after that. Um, I really, really dig this show uh, based on a Garth Ennis uh, comic book of the same name uh, follows kind of a group, a, a CIA kind of black ops uh, kind of team called the boys of the, these misfits that are kind of um, in a world where superheroes are real and they're celebrities and they're uh, kind of, run by this corporation called Vought and, um, and intertwined with the government and things like that. And it's, it's how superheroes have become kind of corrupted, um, by governments and corporations and, and kind of their own egos and things like that. And, um, I'm, I don't know. You probably, if you're listening to this, you might've watched the first season. I think it, uh, was a blast. And I think that kind of continues this season. Uh, I think Carl Urban, uh, I like watching that dude in anything. Um, the guy who plays uh, Homelander, I just think is like such a creepy, kind of weird, menacing um, performance for this kind of like evil Superman. Um, and it's Anthony Starr or Anthony Starr. Um, and he kind of looks like Bradley Cooper, if you've seen this guy. Like he could play Bradley Cooper's brother, Eric. Yeah. Um, and. Uh, I don't know. I think his performance as Homelander is awesome. And I just, uh, very violent, uh, a little like gratuitous and kind of juvenile at times, but it, it explores. You, you some... compared it a little to Mark Millar. Yeah. I think a lot of the, that, that group, it's that same kind of group of, you know, comic book writers. Um, I think Garth Ennis is maybe, um, less juvenile. I think Garth Ennis is a great writer. And so I think Mark Millar is a great writer. I just think Mark Millar gets too, you know, caught up in some of his sillier aspects of it. And Garth Ennis, you guys might know, he also wrote Preacher and and some stuff too. But um, I think it's a great adaptation of that that comic book. And um, I'm having a blast with it. Even um, it's very violent and just pretty fucked up at times, but touches on some interesting themes of, you know, uh, capitalism and, and, and big corporations and just kind of uh, if superheroes are real and, and just, again, Anthony stars Homelander, um, I think is such a great performance. Like he is so unsettling. Uh, just imagine like the b- Superman just being the biggest piece of shit. And, um, you think and- he'd be a sponsor or, or, or um, a representative of, uh, 
those got milk ads oh god yeah i told eric what the character enjoys and if you've watched the boys you know what we're talking about but um there's some disturbing weird shit in that show and um uh i applaud it for it i'm having a good time watching it um i don't get into tv that often there's so many tv shows that i want to watch that are just sitting on my watch list but the boys is that it's interesting because it's a drama obviously but it's an action drama and um i feel like yes you need to pay attention but it's not as heavy as you know i want to watch devs or i want to watch chernobyl or um you know there's a a whole bunch of other shows that are on my list that i want to watch but those i feel like i need to sit down give my all to and i'm i don't mean this as a slight to the boys but the boys i i find more like popcorn entertainment with interesting themes where i can kind of watch it and have it on and i it's not that i'm on my phone the entire time but i don't feel like it's like a i don't want to say a chore because those other shows aren't a chore because i really do want to watch them but like the other ones just take a mental capacity that the boys don't doesn't necessarily need me to have if that yeah. Right. Yeah. It's it's as as you as you mentioned. It's it's comfort food. It's you know a, a summer blockbuster, but in TV form that you can enjoy and follow in a very digestible and easy manner that you don't have to necessarily have your thinking cap on or you know be completely engaged by while watching it. Like that. You know, I love those shows, but sometimes it is nice to throw on you know a an episode of um, Chopped or, you know, something of, of that nature that's just kind of an easy watch that's, you know, Archer or what have you and, and just kind of, you know, vibe out, vibe, you know? Yeah. The one thing, Giancarlo Esposito, love that dude, but he's starting to get typecast as the same villain in every, like since he did Breaking Bad, he's yeah. just doing that Breaking Bad villain in everything. Um which I don't necessarily love. Um, I think he's great. I think he is fantastic at it. Um, but in these first three episodes, I hope they bring more to that character. Cause right now I'm just like, oh, okay, he's doing the Gus Fring thing again. And or even, even like, Harley Quinn just as yeah. the voice of Lex Luthor, right? Yeah, like, that's exactly it again. So like they keep putting him in these, the Mandalorian mo- monotone, uh, Mandalorian, at least he, he, you know, he was only in the one episode, but like, it felt like, okay, maybe he'll have more to do. And I'm not saying Gus Fring didn't have anything to do. He had obviously a lot to do. And I think Gus Fring is one of the best, you know, TV villains of all time. But then I don't need Giancarlo Esposito to keep doing Gus Fring and everything. Like that's, if you want him to be the villain, he's great at it. But like playing a businessman villain, um, I just... I, I, there's more that that guy can do. And obviously we've seen that throughout his entire career, but lately I feel like he's been put into kind of a box with this. Uh, I'm, I'm a businessman, but I'm also very menacing and doing fucked up shit behind the curtain. And he talks very in a monotone kind of intellectual, intellectual fashion. It is interesting though, because like I, I remember that there's that version of him and I haven't really watched a lot of breaking bad, but the episodes that he's been in that I've seen, I, I totally get where you're coming from where like 
there I, I, I would even say that there's like this weird like post Anton Sugar yeah. villain that everybody is trying to create where they're completely cold and clinical and emotionless, and that's what makes them frightening. And you get the right actor for the role and they can pull it off marvelously, and especially for someone that maybe you're not expecting it from with with you know him specifically there was a point where he always kind of played kind of a goofier character or a foil or somebody that was kind of like a caricature like you think of you know spike lee's do the right thing or tim robbins bob roberts or even weirdly like his role in the usual suspects as kind of like a you know a a cop who's kind of a little bit more playful and loose you know, in, in this investigation of Kaiser Soze. Um, but yeah, like it's, it's interesting that he went from those kind of roles to now the more serious, threatening big baddie, if you will. Yeah. And I think that's like my own, like, I have a feeling that that character will become more, you know, involved and complex throughout the latter part of this season, maybe even having, you know, superpowers as well or something like that. And maybe that, you know, brings another element you know, to him just being, you know, the behind the scenes um, villain kind of thing. But uh, yeah, I think that's my only criticism. I love that guy. I just feel like, okay, all right. I get, I get why you cast him, but maybe let's give him a little bit more to do or do something a little bit different than. Let's give him some nuance. Yeah, exactly. Um, So yeah, the boys is good though. I highly suggest watching those first uh, three seasons. Uh, I don't know if it would be your thing, Eric, but I, I think you should try to, eventually get to some of the first season um because i do think it is uh it's uh, it's it's good it's fun um and pretty fucked up <laughs> uh that that's what i've been watching so moving on to staying at home i'll quickly fly through mine um all the harry potter movies eight dollars each in 4k on apple tv right now uh bill and ted two pack ten dollars in 4k um because bill bill and ted uh uh, what's the n- newest one? Face called? the music. Face the music is out, so I think that's why those are on sale. As well as Karate Kid, uh, Cobra Kai just got added to Netflix, and there's a new season coming out on Netflix. So, uh, uh, Karate Kid in 4K Dolby Vision was super cheap. Uh, I think like five or seven dollars on uh, on Apple as well. And then, as Eric mentioned, uh, I did pick up Bloody Nose Empty Pockets based on his recommendation. It's now available on iTunes. I think it's. Be- but I, this is the thing. Once I purchase something, I can't go back and look at the price of it. So I think it was between you know twelve and fifteen dollars, but still uh, very reasonable. And I watched the opening credits, and I was like, "Oh yeah, I'm into this. I, uh, I I'm definitely down to watch this." Uh, so those are my quick uh, digital picks for this week. I'll be quick as well. Um, The Alfred Hitchcock collection on 4K movies like Rear Window and Psycho are getting the 4K upgrade. Um, Kelly Reichardt's First Cow, which is one of my favorite movies of the year, uh, is getting a Blu-ray release, uh, a 4K release of the animated version of Ghost in the Shell. Um, I was sent a copy of The King of Staten Island on Blu-ray. So for all those Bill Burr fans out there, uh, I wonder if Bill Burr would like to have a Burr in Tulsi Town. 
you think? <laughs> um, and then finally, the movie that I will talk just briefly about that I, I really love and I think is a really sweet and wonderful little Canadian movie um, from the early 80s is a film called The Grey Fox, which Kino Lorber is releasing. Uh, the, it is a 4K restoration. Uh, it stars the great stuntman turn actor um, Richard Farnsworth, who for a lot of people our age and maybe a little bit older will be best remembered as the lead in David Lynch's straight story about a man uh, visiting his brother via tractor on a road trip. This is stars uh, Farnsworth as a Jesse James esque character, but the only difference is he is not a ruthless uh, train robber slash bank robber. He's actually a very kind uh, criminal. This movie kind of would fit perfectly, like if we were to if it if there were that term then would be in the nice core category. Um, it is a lovely sprawling ode to classic westerns. Um, it's got a great performance, great score. I hope more people will check this film out. It's getting a you know a release through a, an American distributor, so that says something, especially for a Canadian film, because Canadian movies don't usually get this kind of treatment. Um, it's just a lovely little movie, and I hope more people will discover it um, and and maybe take a chance on it. And especially because you know Richard Farnsworth is one of those guys that I think you know, like anytime you watch one of his movies, he's the kind cowboy and he's always a presence to watch and, and, you know, so sad and tragic the way that, that, you know, he, he passed away or, or you know, died through you know, suicide. And, and um, yeah, I can't, I can't recommend it highly enough. It's, it's just, it's just a delight. Nice, man. I was just looking at our chartable um, stuff, which just came through. Um, Untitled Movie Conversations, number seven in film inter- interviews in Canada. That's pretty nice. Cool. We did it. <laughs> it was up 75 spots. So, <laughs> and we haven't even put out our, uh, our interview with uh, Jay yet. So that's awesome. Uh, there's some other stats that were in that email too, but that's inside baseball stuff. Um, trailers. Uh, we got a good amount of trailers in the last, you know, week or so we covered, you know, the Batman and all the DC fandom stuff on, uh, the last episode. Um, we just missed out as you guys are listening to this, we've probably now seen the trailer for, uh, Rebecca. Um, and then we're also getting a Dune trailer this week. Um, you'll see our reactions on that eventually, but we're getting in the middle of TIFF. So it might be kind of hard until maybe after the festival, but, uh, did get some good trailers this week. So, uh, let's kick it off with no time to die. So we got the newest trailer for the Carrie Fukunaga bond movie. Um, Eric, I'm curious. We talked a little bit about this. I think we might've even watched it when you were over. I forget. Uh, We tend to watch random movie trailers when we're just sitting together. We hung out for the first time and like, well, other than going to the movies that time, but, um, we should even talk about that a little bit, just going to the movies and what that was like. Oh, shit. Yeah. You know what? We'll go that. That's how we'll, there's a couple big things in the news section and we'll, we'll talk about that. And obviously a very sad um, and tragic loss in the last uh, week that we do want to kind of talk about, but let's quickly go through trailers and then we'll go into that stuff. So yeah. Um, no time to die. Um, newest trailer for the new bond movie still coming out in November. Um, I think, the fall movie season, especially with big blockbusters, I think is, I think everyone's going to be watching the tenant box office stuff. And, um, 
And then I think we could see another influx of things moving out of the fall. Um, Bond. We already have. A Quiet Place 2 has moved into, and, and Top Gun Maverick have both moved into 2021. Yeah, Paramount did move uh, a bunch of stuff, which is a bummer, which I think we missed out on the last episode. We didn't even realize. Um, anyways, your thoughts on the Bond trailer? Because, I, I mean, I'll quickly kick it off. Of, uh, I think the last 30 seconds of this trailer is awesome. Um, I think there's a lot of beautiful cinematography that I'm noticing um, in this. Uh, there's just still something a little bit off on both the first trailer and this one. And I don't know whether it's the sound mixing on the trailer or the editing or something like that, but like it doesn't flow very well for me. So I'm a little turned off and kind of, and I think after Spectre, I'm a little kind of like, ah, all right, I, I love Carrie Fukunaga. I'm so interested to see what he does with a bond movie. Um, and I do think the action looks dope throughout this entire thing. Um, I just, I, I wish I was more excited for this and these trailers have gotten me, you know, intrigued, but I'm not like, you know, I'm at half mast right now. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm not dissimilar to you. I think I'm cautiously optimistic, partly because as you already mentioned, Linus Sandgren's cinematography and Kerry Fukunaga directing in this being the last Daniel Craig movie officially uh, in his uh, tenure as Bond. Um, but there is something weirdly choppy with the exposition and tinny with the dialogue. Like there is, you know, additional sound recording or looping, you know, for the trailer. And I think also, I think maybe part of why we have a little bit of apprehension towards the trailer or not feeling it the way some people are is because of Tenet. I think Tenet, there were expectations with that movie, which is like a Bond film that, you know, we were expecting to have this globe trotting spy thriller, you know, deliver. And, and Nolan is very much inspired by the Bond, you know, canon that it didn't and to kind of see maybe more of that with the spectacle of you know in camera effects and you know exotic locations that it just kind of feels like oh you're you're kind of you you feel numb to it a little bit and and I'm hoping that when we actually see the film in its context on the big screen you know not in this bite-sized 2 minute and you know 20 something chunk that those experiences will be fun and and there has been some behind the scenes conversations and and sort of you know people disagreeing and how the film was being written and kind of being produced but i am still hopeful that maybe it will deliver i mean it's got to be that or wonder woman i'm i'm hoping both will have you know, those cinematic pleasures that we missed out on in, in the summer movie season that maybe we'll get some enjoyment out of those in, in the fall and into the winter. But yeah, it, it just, it feels weird because we talked about this with Tenet as well. I should be more excited about a Bond movie coming out and I don't really feel that way. Yeah. And I think you put it well with, with our reaction to Tenet and, um, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I, I wish I was more excited too. And I, I'd be curious to see if they ever convince Nolan to actually make a Bond movie too. Because it just seems he like might he, now. He, he might now. Yeah, it seems like he just wants to. And like now after Craig is finally finishing up with the role. And because I think Nolan was probably waiting 
for the opportunity to do his own thing, right? He didn't want to inherit a bond. If he's going to do it, he'd probably do his own. Maybe it would just be a one-off and, um, or maybe it's a, you know, a trilogy like he did with Batman or something like that. But, um, I could see it happening now, like depending on, you know, the tenant reaction, which has been, it's been okay. I think we were, you know, more negative on it. There's been some, a good amount of people who are pretty still high on it, but, um, with inception, with tenant, with, even elements in in Dunkirk and his other films, like you can see that he does kind of want to make a Bond movie. And um, as much as he talks, saying, "Oh no, no, no," that they're doing their thing. I, I, it, I obviously am inspired by that, but that's not really my place. I could just definitely see it happening. Well, even um, if even if you know the Broccoli's wanted to you know do a new series with a new actor, and you know. They could bring in Nolan if the the conversation went well, or you know they decided to you know do something where they could do something like what DC is. You know yeah. the idea of DC doing its you know elsewhere different universes universe right. thing. Like you look at the Batman, right? Like the 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 new Batman movie is different from Suicide Squad and the rest of the shared universe. You could do your one off James Bond movie with. Tom Hardy or whoever is Bond, whoever Nolan wants is Bond. And that would be it. You know, you don't, I mean, I'm sure it, it wouldn't be it because it would make a lot of money and, and the broccoli family would probably be like, Oh, we'll just continue Dump trucks of money in front of his house. Yeah, yeah. Or we'll continue without him as a director and have him just as like a executive producer, which doesn't really mean anything, but it's just, you know, a way to get more money in a title. Um, but yeah, I could, I, I think he probably should do the Bond movie to kind of just get it out of his system. Yes, I agree. <laughs> or go or go back to just something smaller or not even smaller, but like something on the scale of the prestige. Yeah, I agree with that. Um, I could see it going either way. Um, what I just think is fascinating is I think it's he's just destined to do one. He has to. Like, like you yeah. said, it kind of just needs to get it out of his system. So he – I mean obviously he, he can't bring – in, insane sci-fi elements like he did with tenant into it but like or he could maybe i don't know he could do whatever the fuck he wants but um i i would be curious to see him get out of get it out of his system that's a good way of uh putting it and i i still do think it will happen although the title for for this one would have been perfect for a christopher nolan movie because he's obsessed with time yeah that's true um Moving on to Possessor Uncut, uh, which is the Brandon Cronenberg um, uh, film um, starring um, uh, Christopher Abbott's in there. Who um, Andrea Riceboro, uh, Jennifer Riceboro. Jason Lee, yeah. Sean Bean, who is not dead <laughs> in the trailer. Or is he? <laughs> um, does someone try and kill him? Absolutely. Um, yeah, I, I dug this trailer. You brought it up. I mean, Nolan's a, a perfect segue. You were like, oh, it kind of feels like, you know, getting into the mind kind of Inception-like or or even Tenet to an degree. Um, um, obviously taking elements from his dad's work as well and 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 stuff like that with the look and, uh, and stuff. I don't know. I was into this trailer. I think it looks uh, unsettling, but also exciting and, and a fun thriller. So like, I'm definitely down for this. Yeah, I, I think you kind of perfectly nailed it where like there is a bit of nepotism here, um, especially because hiring casting Jennifer Jason Lee, who starred in uh, Existence, um, which was a David Cronenberg movie where 
her and Jude Law and a group of other people um, enter a virtual world, which is a kind of video game-esque sort of uh, landscape and aren't sure whether or not they're in a video game or not. And the movie actually predates The Matrix. Um, so it's it's interesting that that film never kind of caught on the way that, that the Wachowski sisters film um, did. Uh, but then also some of the visuals look like, like there's the, these masks that Andrew Riceboro's character uh, has put on her. And then also another one that um, these goggles that Abbott's wearing in the trailer that look like this dome that James Woods character in Videodrome wears. So there's the idea of like, you know, human beings and technology being integrated into one and how we can live in other people's bodies. And I think that's actually an interesting idea for a hitman story um, or hit woman story or hit person story. Um, but I hope that the movie does go in a direction that's his own. Um, having the film played at Sundance and hearing some of the reaction that it is extremely violent um, intrigues me. And I wonder how much of the body horror aspect will be implemented throughout. But yeah, I, I think this could be something really um, interesting to kind of explore uh, and, and definitely um, a, you know, a fun genre movie for October. Absolutely. Uh, speaking of genre movies and spooky movies for October, uh, Come Play, uh, a new trailer, uh, which is a horror movie from is it was it Focus Features? Focus Features, yeah. you got it, Matt. Yeah, um, about a boy who starts seeing this creepy figure on um, a lot of the technology he's using, um, as well as just kind of yeah, it's also it's all through technology, isn't it? Yeah, it's it's basically this this story that this young boy um, with autism uh, creates, the parents are played by John Gallagher Jr. and uh, Gillian Jacobs. Um, and it's directed by Jacob written and directed by uh, Jacob chase. Um, it's also based, I believe I'm looking this up now. Yes. It's based on a uh, short, which is, was the original title of the feature uh, called Larry, which is the creature that is stalking this child. And the creature itself kind of looks goofy. It looks like one of those design, those creature designs from these really bad B movies that are available on either Amazon Prime or Netflix so occasionally. I, that's what I thought Ra this movie Raven was. Grave Encounters. I thought that's what this was. I thought it was one of those kind of like fake horror movies yeah or those those horror movies that are like made for 5.99 and then just That's like released meant, yeah. on 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 you know a streaming service or even shutter but shutter has a lot of good stuff as well um i don't know i i think that maybe it'll be a fun genre release and i was saying to you before the show i think the most interesting thing about it is there's this sequence where you know the 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 kid is using his um ipad and the the face app that he's using latches on to Larry's face behind him. And I think that's actually kind of interesting. And I'm not sure if it's been done before, but obviously you're seeing, you know, like movies like Unfriended and Host and things like that use, you know, um, technology to um, sort of create a story or a framing device around the narrative. Have but you I, watched I, that Zoom horror movie on Shudder? Host? Not yet, but I want to because it's like under 75 minutes, yeah. which really excites me quite a bit. And I liked not Unfriended, but I liked Unfriended Dark Web. I thought that that movie was nasty, but fascinating in a 
more not be- I don't want to say believable, but at least kind of it made more sense than unfriended because when it comes to like a supernatural creature and in, you know infecting your computer, it's kind of goofy. Um, but yeah, with with the face app thing, I thought was interesting, and I would love to see like somebody use like a voice memo or recording on their phone and like pick up a different voice. I'm sure it's been done, but if it hasn't, please do that. I think that would actually be kind of creepy. Um, yeah, I'm with you. I, I, I went in thinking this is going to be one of those bargain bin horror movies. That was like a kind of a phony thing. And then I was like, Oh, this is like a legit movie. I, I didn't realize when I saw Gillian Jacobs and John Gallagher Jr. Show up and I'm like, Oh, it's released by focus. I'm like, Oh, this is like an actual horror movie. And I, I, I do agree with you that the monster looks a little silly. Um, but you know what? I'm, I, again, I'm just clamoring for, you know, uh, new movies and, and new horror content coming into October. So, um, I, I'm sure we'll watch it and review it. Um, it probably getting a VOD and, and pseudo theatrical release, depending on where you are. Right. I don't know yeah. what they've, what they've announced yet, but, uh, I don't know either, but it is getting released at the end of, uh, um, October. Um, Staying within the horror realm, let's go into the next two. Uh, Haunting of Blythe Manor. We got our first uh, teaser trailer, which is Mike Flanagan's follow-up to The Haunting of Hill House on Netflix, uh, utilizing a lot of the same cast um, as that first series. So kind of- But in different roles. Yes. Kind of like in the, I mean, uh, easy and bad comparison, but like American Horror Story. I knew you were going to bring up the uh, Ryan Murphy series. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's just, that's- But it's true. That's the easiest way of describing it. Um, A lot of Ryan Murphy series do that where, you know, you bring back the same cast. They're just playing different roles. So Flanagan's doing that with uh, his haunting anthology series. A couple new additions to the cast. I know uh, Rahul Kohli, who is from iZombie and a few other things. I know he's in the uh, series as well as they've added a, a couple more people, but uh, I need to finish the haunting of Hill house. So last year, two years ago or last year, I think it was last two year. years ago. Was, was it, it two years ago? Last year. It was the year God, of crawl. God, I don't know anymore. Um, what is time? Um, anyway, looking I didn't, it up right now. I didn't finish Hill house and I, I have three more episodes. I think, I think I was like on episode seven. And weren't there 10 episodes or something? Yeah. And it was 2018. Yeah. So it was two years ago. And I just never went back to them. And I know people have told me like, it's great and you need to finish it. I think the last episode I watched was that one take episode. Remember that? Yes. Um, And that episode's incredible. And I'm like, it can't get better than this. So I'll just stop watching it. One Um, of the best jump scares I think I've ever seen. Which I still haven't seen. Because I think you told me about it and I haven't seen that jump scare yet. So... Um, I don't think so. You said it was in a car, I think. And I'm like, yeah. I haven't, I haven't, I don't remember now. So I don't know whether to go back and rewatch the whole series or just try to get a recap before I watch those last couple. But uh, Blythe Manor, um, Eric, thoughts on this? It's a pretty short teaser. It yeah, looks- I mean, I don't really have much to say other than I'm just excited to kind of get back into the business of Mike Flanagan. I think he is a really talented filmmaker and i'm really appreciative that he is getting you know this all this money and opportunity to work with a cast and you know play with the same group of actors his his roster of actors in different roles and i think 
this is something to look forward to every couple of years. He actually has another show that he's working uh, right now on finishing, um, but I don't know if it was halted because of the pandemic or um, if they had finished it on time, but I'm just looking it up now, the name of the show. I think it is something midnight he he works like no one else like i just midnight I never, mass is the name of the show like i just can't believe the amount of stuff he consistently puts out some um, people just need to work man like some people just they can't stop they're like sharks they stop they die you know like they just they they love what they do they need to be on set there's something really admirable about that even though you know you can you know stretch yourself thin but knowing that like somebody like Mike Flanagan, you know, is always passionate to be making something is really exciting. Yeah. A hundred percent. Yeah. It seems like a lot of the cast of that show is also uh, a lot of the cast of Blythe Manor and, and Haunting of Hill House. I mean, he has a lot of regulars that show up in a lot of his stuff, right? So. Yeah, from Oculus to, you know, Doctor Sleep. I mean, like, there's there's a lot of people that even show up in small roles that, you know, are, are given bigger roles this time around, maybe in in, in this show and in and, and others. So I, I just, I, I dig that as well, that he is using the same cast characters or the same actors, pardon me, where it's like... It's just interesting to see, like, okay, let's put Henry Thomas in this role instead of this one, and then Gerald's Game as well. It's like that's another movie that if you have not seen that and you're looking, please for something, go watch it. It's awesome. That's one of the better Stephen King adaptations. Of it's right there. Memory. And speaking of Stephen Perfect King, segue <laughs> the last, uh, not the last trailer, but uh, in the same kind of realm, uh, The Stand. Uh, we finally got a teaser for. Um, uh, the stand, which is going to be on CBS all access, um, which means here in Canada, it's either going to be crave or probably crave. I'm assuming, but I don't know. <laughs> It'll be crave uh, or well, crave, I feel probably like crave crave is on paper. Crave is a fantastic streaming service. Like if you have the, the expensive version of crave, which is like 20, $25, which comes with like HBO showtime, CBS, all access movies, like tons and tons of shit. And uh, I just wish their streaming quality was better, which I will harp on until the day I die. It has gotten better. I've noticed, but it's still the aliasing and like some, by the time last of us comes out, I swear to God, they better have this fixed. Yeah. I Um, think the biggest problem as well is anything that like anything that takes place during the night is awful. You can see all the digital noise. Yeah. And hopefully that gets better. I think it has gotten a little better, but um, still just obscene. Anyways, the stand, um, uh, we got a movie a couple years ago, which everyone will forget about. Um, no, wait, or is that Dark Tower, not The Stand? Sorry, that I'm was Dark things, Tower. I'm getting things mixed we up. Had the, we had the, the in the '90s TV they show, adapted right? the, the the miniseries, the two night special, the the Mick uh, Garrison series, which wasn't great. Um, but the Man in Black is in both series, right? Yes, yes. He's later revealed to be Randall Flag. Um, Jamie Sheridan played that version. Sounds like a Suicide Squad member. (laughs) Right, right. Uh, Jamie Sheridan played that version in the 90s one. Now Alexander uh, Sarsgaard is playing him in the new adaptation. Um, I love that is my favorite Stephen King book. And I've talked about my love of Stephen King, but also the faults of Stephen King. The biggest problem is that he doesn't know how to fucking end his, his work or his work ends in a kind of 
bit of a whimper. Um, he's rewritten the ending for this version of the stand. So I'm very curious to see how it will all work out. Um, should I tell you how the original version is? Uh, off air, you can. Because okay, I don't, I don't right. think we should spoil it for people just in, in case. Because much like Watchmen, you never know how they'll interpret um, you know, the ending versus you know what how oh, similar it's very literal in, in, in the no, book and in the I know, but what I mean theory. is like you know what I mean by the watchman comparison yeah, I know what with you the mean. squid yeah. and stuff like that. But yeah, I, I don't I, want to spoil I, for somebody that wants to just see it. This the stand is something I've always wanted to read. Uh I am just horrible with reading novels. Like as even no matter how interested I am in a novel, like Ant Kind, the Charlie Kaufman novel that we have right now that we've been trying to review for six months, um, or three months or something. Um I want to read it. I just don't have the energy to like sit down and read it. Maybe it's just because I haven't trained my brain in so long to like sit down and read a novel, like, or my mind just wanders and I can't focus on something like that. Um, and that's why with the stand and some novels, I've bought the graphic novel adaptation of them because I feel like I, I recently read, you know, every issue of invincible. Um, I'm, not an avid comic book reader anymore. I used to, I, I go in and out depending on you know my mood and and how much I want to spend on comic books. I think if I had a good iPad again, I'd probably get back into it. But um, graphic novel. So I, I did get the first couple not issues, but like graphic novel adaptations of The Stand. So I I have read like maybe a quarter of it because it's a pretty big novel, right? Um, oh yeah. It's a thick Keep daddy. Keep talking. I'm going to show you uh, something in a second. Yeah, please go get it. And so I did buy the, or I got from the library, the graphic novel adaptations of the stand. And I kept getting, much like I did with Invincible, I would just get the first, you know, couple um, collections and then read through those. And I really liked the art style. I really liked learning about, you know, uh, the man in black or Randall Flagg and, and kind of going through, because as, as Eric knows and and people who listen, like, I post post apocalyptic kind of um, dystopian kind of stuff is, is extremely my shit. That's incredible. Yeah, Eric's showing me his big thick daddy collector's edition of the stand, um, and it was always intimidating because I remember getting the novel from the library and going, "Holy shit, okay," <laughs> um, and then trying it and i'm going okay and then i was just saying to everyone eric like i got the graphic novel collections and they came out you know in in certain parts and i really liked the visuals attached to them and they were done in collaboration with stephen king and um but i just kind of fell out of them for some reason um and i've always wanted to kind of go back and read it i just i'm just such a horrible piece of shit reader that i just never i read so much on the internet and online and the odd graphic novel or, or, or comic book arc, but I just can't sit down and read a novel for the life of me. And I really want to audiobooks I need to get back into or something, but I don't know. It, it, that doesn't make you a shitty person. It's just, no, you know, no, no. life gets in the way it's time consuming, especially when, I mean, you talked about ant kind and, and, you know, to a lesser extent, I think the stand is actually a pretty easy read, but it, they're still dense with, with writing and it is, uh, it can be just overwhelming looking at a book that thick and being like, you know, I mean, it's not Tolstoy or something like that, but it still is like, oh, wow, like that is, you know, that is going to take up a lot of time. And if you get a pleasure in reading and if you are a, a faster reader, it helps. I used to read all of the time. 
like when I was in high school and elementary, I read as much as I watched movies that has changed in the last 20 years or so because of the internet and attention spans and things like that. And I still do read, but I read more short stories than, than anything else and articles and essays. Yeah. Um, now, and if I were recommending like for people to kind of jump into Stephen King, I would recommend his short stories before the stand. I think the night shift collection is a great place to start. And I think it's some of his best writing because short stories like short films are punchlines to a joke. You're in, you're out you kind of enjoy it for what it is and you get exactly what you came for. And they're, and they're well-written. I think his shorts are the strongest aspects of his, his writing style. Um, it, it's just, it is a lot. So I, I, I totally get where you're coming from and like, you know, you're not the only one. And, and, you know, I, I wish more was, you know, recorded by Will Wheaton for, for people to, <laughs> to listen to on audio. That's, an old, that's but- an old joke. Um, I listened to ready player one and it was, uh, on audiobook and it was uh recorded by Will Wheaton. But audiobooks are are interesting because I, I feel like I, I can't listen to them while I'm doing other things because my mind will wander again. Um but I think they're good to commit you to reading it so you kind of follow along almost with the book while the audiobook is playing and it's almost reading it to you. Cause even with podcasts, and I mean, ironically, we do a podcast that doesn't have a video version, but I watch a lot of the podcasts that I like because my attention span is so bad that if I'm just listening to it, I will miss things because I'm not focused on it. But movies are the same thing where I can be bad sometimes where I have my phone on me and I miss a big chunk of a movie at home and not for stuff that I'm reviewing per se, but just like stuff I'm watching. Um, And then that's why I love watching movies with someone, whether Eric you're over or I watch something with Nevis because I feel like a obligation to the other person that I'm watching with to like sit down and pay attention to the movie with them. Much like when I go to the cinema to watch something. So um, I don't know. Maybe I got to get back into audiobooks or something like that. But anyways, back to the trailer of the stand. Um, what did uh, it's very short. Um, I don't know how I feel about the look and and how it. I don't know. We saw so little of it. I want this to be great. Um, I don't know if I've seen a CBS All Access show that I really love yet. So I don't know. Yeah, the Twilight um, Zone, the Jordan Peele produced series. I, I liked it, but I. I found the slickness got in the way and just from this trailer, this, this teaser, I felt like there was that similar quality where like, it's, it's very clean and slickly put together. Um, I assume, I mean, I hope that it is a period piece because the book is written in the point of view of the, the, the late eighties. I mean the seventies when it was written, but like when it was adapted in, in to its version, it was, ladies early early 90s so i'm kind of hoping that it will be a period piece but at the same time i could see them just making a modern version of it so you know i'm i'm hopeful and i'm excited about it and i think maybe this is the better way to do it than two movies because with that like you look at it like it that first half was so strong and such a you know exciting prospect to be like okay well maybe they finally nailed Stephen King and then you look at the second half and that thing just ballooned out of proportion (laughs) you know with that almost 
three hour hour running time and you know all the stuff with the adults and and things like that and it's that's similar to the stand the stand is an amazing setup a great concept i think it is obviously very timely now because the beginning of the movie or the book begins with a super flu that wipes out half a civilization and the rest of the world is divided into two camps one on the side of you know good and virtue and the other and you know um hell and and sort of amoral behavior but it kind of disintegrates and it's because Stephen king loses interest because he just wants to write the next thing i mean that's kind of what makes him great and terrible at the same time that he's so prolific that he can also just kind of wander off yeah i'm excited about this i think the casting is interesting um I don't know if there's really much to go on that I would say like, oh, that shot is, yeah. you know, out of a Stephen King thing. It's just great to see James Marsden's eye peeking into a, a hole fence and things like that. But like, yeah, there's nothing that I would say is like, oh, like this has me pumped other than it is an adaptation of Stephen the King's stand. The Stand. Yeah, I'm with you on that. Uh, finally, quickly, we'll touch on it. I don't think we'll be able to cover it at TIFF just because of the uh, limitations that are put on it. Uh, but Francis Lee's Ammonite uh, has a trailer that's out right now for you guys to watch. Uh, it is playing the Toronto Film Festival as well as Cinefest Sudbury, as we mentioned. Um, but uh, Francis Lee is very adamant that he wants people to see this in a cinema. So uh, the screenings at TIFF were very sparse. There were, um, you know, three or four that were playing the light box, but that remember there's 50, 50 people maximum inside of a theater still here in, in, in Ontario. Um, so, you know, only 200 seats probably total for that. And there, it is having a digital screening, but from everything I've heard, uh, very limited amounts, uh, for it. So it was the only TIFF movie that, and there's no P and I for it either. Cause he doesn't want people to see it, um, on a digital, uh, platform. So I don't think we'll be able to cover it, but there is a trailer. It's another, um, you know, uh, period piece, lesbian, uh, romance, uh, uh, film. Um, and I don't know, maybe not my thing. I'm definitely open to it, but I'm not usually, uh, you know, I, I've joked about my, uh, not distaste, but I just period piece, uh, dramas just rarely click with me. Uh, I love the actresses involved. Um, I, I definitely think he's a talented guy. I, I just don't know if it's for me. Well, let's be honest, Matt. You do you do love a good period piece if it stars uh, Daniel Day Lewis being fed poisonous mushrooms. Yeah, that is true. Yeah, or the current war, which. I, that I, was a weird one. I don't know why I connected with that or liked it, but there, why the, the time, light switch flipped on. I will. Um, I'll always give them a shot. Don't get me wrong. Like no, I, I, I have I to say that. Yeah, you I don't do. go in. I don't go in going. I I'm gonna fucking hate this. Like even though I say that this isn't my cup of tea, usually I definitely love the actresses involved, and um, and I'm definitely open to a movie, uh, a period. Like I, I'm not saying I hate all period pieces. There's many movies that aren't that don't take place in the modern day. It's mostly an ongoing joke between Eric and I, mostly when I, again, like I used to joke that documentaries weren't real movies and stuff like that. But, um, but then I in mean, all lady bird is technically a period piece. Yeah. That also starts I love Sir Ronan. So like, I, I'm definitely intrigued. I would have seen this if it was available at uh, TIFF because as much as I say, you know, I don't know if it's for me, I'm still interested in 
that it would possibly be for me. So I don't know. I hope that there is somebody that complains about the film not having enough discovering of uh, fossils. Yeah. Like that uh, would be amazing. <laughs> uh, your thoughts on this quickly before we move on? You know, I Matt, I'm a neon boy. Um, I got to rep my my company as you, you know, rep your, you and Ben Shane rep A24. I got to support my neon boys. Um, I, I like the trailer. I think it's a very lush, exquisite looking movie yeah um i really liked francis lee's uh, other movie uh god's own country i thought that was a beautiful uh gay love story as well um i'm excited for it but it's weird the trailer didn't do a lot for me and i don't know why maybe it's just because i feel this way when we get closer to the festival in general where i don't like watching the trailers as much agree, because we're about yeah. to see something or it's about to play the fall festival and it sucks that we won't get to see it. And I respect Francis Lee's choice because it is his movie and he should show the film the way that he wants to, no matter what, but I probably will end up seeing it digitally, no matter what. And, and this is, again, this is a, this is a perspective of privilege. Um, you know, being a critics choice member, I will probably get a screener link or, um, you know, physical copy to watch sometime in, you know, December, January. So, I'm going to see this probably in, you know, the way that he does not want me to see it no matter what. Um, So it it ultimately doesn't bother me if we don't see it right away. I I would like to see it and I would like to, you know, you know, have my opinion on it. But, you know, I'm I can wait. I agreed. Uh, The one thing I wanted to share before we move on to the news, which is. It will be a sad segue, but it's funny right now. Um, did you see this tweet that he sent out? So Josh O'Connor tweeted, right, I've never seen a Marvel film. I want to watch Avengers Endgame, but I can't because I haven't I don't have the foggiest idea of what's going on. So where do I start? Is there an order? Do I start with Captain Marvel, Captain USA, The Strange Doctor, Ant Boy? Help. And then Francis Lee responds, start with Captain America. Look for the queer subtext with Bucky. I've got them all on DVD so we can watch when you're here next. Heart emoji. <laughs> I'm like, all right, awesome. I loved that. Um, and that leading into a Marvel thing, that was a, you know, something that was a little bit on the the brighter side of things. But um moving into the news, um, last Friday, um we had like a, a shocking and sad news that um Chadwick Boseman um star of like I we were just talking Marvel movies but um star of Black Panther um and uh 42 and uh Eric you recently watched 21 Bridges uh yeah, he's also get, on up, get on up uh, yeah. Marshall uh draft day um the five bloods which we yeah recently on show. Uh, one of the best films of the year and a, a fantastic fa- fantastic performance but uh chadwick boseman um passed away uh, at the age of 42 um uh from colon cancer um just a shocking and gutting uh loss and um uh, i just wanted to talk about it for a little bit i know we've you know it's an hour and a half into the podcast and um apologies we didn't you know go into it earlier, but, you know, um, I did want to spend a little bit of time just kind of remembering him and, and, and talking about, you know, the work that he's done and just the legacy that he'll leave in such a small kind of a short period of time, really. Um, 
I was just like, I was watching a movie with Nevis last Friday. I forgot what we were watching, but um, we got a, a text from, you know, we always give Ben Shane a shout out. Um, ben messaged us and uh, Eric, you talked about when we were off, we, when we were hanging out, you're like, no, that can't be real. Like, wh- what is this? And then jumping into Twitter and seeing it's coming from his official, you know, uh, account and and that his family wrote this you know very very sad and emotional you know announcement that he passed away after you know a, a four year long battle with uh, with colon cancer that he kept private. Um, very few like obviously we're a week and a bit removed from it, and um, more details have come out of how you know this was very close knit. He didn't really want this to be a public thing. Uh, he kind of just wanted to battle this in private and, and very few people knew like his family and his trainer and his agent and things like that. But, um, which just makes this loss, I think so much more, not, not saying he, he was entitled to, you know, keep it private and do what he, he wanted to do. But I think that's why it came as such a shock. Um, to people and you know the people he's worked with ryan coogler penned uh an incredible goodbye to him all of his you know uh, co-workers and actors people pouring out just showing like how gutted and and sad this is and um i just wanted to talk about you know chadwick boseman for a little bit and kind of the the memory he'll he'll leave because it's just it's still hard to believe that you know he's gone and and i don't celebrity death I, I doesn't usually hit me because I'm like, okay, you know, I didn't know them personally. I a lot of the times you admire people's work or uh, things like that, but I think in certain situations when someone goes at a very very young age and you do have a a personal connection with these people, even if you've maybe never met them or um, you don't actually legitimately know them personally, but their their work and their art has you know touched you in some way and maybe affected you on a personal level and and black panther you don't want to bottle someone down to one role but that was such an important movie um in a multitude of different ways that and a guy who was just probably entering his prime right um i know he started a bit late and you know he's been active in the last you know decade or so um um prominently in film but um it's really seemed like he was just getting going and i mean he had a huge role in a, in one of the biggest movies of all time and he was going to continue to be in the biggest movie franchise of of all time in the MCU for the foreseeable future uh, he had great performances in in to five bloods this year like we mentioned and storm and, and norman storm yeah he was he was so good in that and that movie will hit differently now too and um just a a horrible horrible loss um a guy that's gone way too way too young and um i'm not choking up i'm actually just choking um but it is sad um and it just hit me really, really hard. And I think it hit a lot of people hard. So um, just uh, I, that's what I have to say. And we can talk about it a bit, Eric. You- yeah, no, I know. I agree with everything that you said. I mean, his passing, I think just, you know, when we got that text or, or you know, whether you were on Twitter or hearing it on the news, it's like you had to do a double take or check because it's like Chadwick Boseman, this is, guy was, you know, young and and you know you look at the photos of him as black panther he's ripped and he's athletic and you know he's you know has his whole life ahead of him and 
then you know you hear that he had been undergoing treatment and you know still going to work with colon cancer within you know the span of four years making multiple films that all of which were physically demanding i didn't talk about um 21 bridges on on the last show because i just kind of felt that it was a um plate boiler uh police procedural that is kind of a chase movie as well but you watch that watch thinking about it now and when i was watching it the thing that i was taken aback by um there are some moments in there that are fun but chadwick boseman is completely invested not only in the performance, but in the physicality of that role. He's chasing after Stefan James and Taylor Kitsch's characters on the streets of New York, running around a couple single takes that must have been just exhausting to do. And it, it made me appreciate him more. And, and I talked to you when I was over at your place. I didn't love everything that he was in. Black Panther, I think, is... is maybe with the exception of the five bloods are his two best movies, but everything he's in, even films like, you know, 42 is Jackie Robinson and uh, get on up as, as James Brown. I think those movies are kind of mixed positive and are kind of just, you know, standard biopics, but he's great in those movies. And I think it's because he brings a sense of, compassion and empathy to the roles i think of it with get on up there's a scene where you know his the james brown's estranged mother you know keeps on disappointing him and there's one scene where it she just completely breaks him and even after she leaves the scene and leaves him devastated he tells one of the people that's working for him you know make sure to get her anything she needs and he's just completely beside himself in tears and that moment i think of a lot i even also think of weirdly i was telling you about it is the uh alex proyas movie gods of egypt that horrible gerard butler film yeah. there's a scene where he plays a god a shape-shifting god and he knows the movie he's in and he is just having a ball in that film and watching him kind of play off of the rest of the cast who are you know they're they're not taking it too seriously they're kind of phoning it in for paychecks but he's at least kind of enjoying the moment and really kind of giving the role and the film a bit of life a little bit of you know character and i think that that says a lot about him as a person and i think it also is really sad and and tragic that you know you find out that he is actually or at least seemed to be a really nice man and i think that that really sucks as well because you know like a lot of people for better or worse are people, you know, they have their ups and downs and, and what have you, but everything that was mentioned about him, you know, from family, from press, from people that have worked with him. Um, he seemed to be just a generally nice guy. And, you know, what can you say other than, you know, condolences to the family and that is horrible, but also, I would highly recommend reading uh, Clayton Davis, who is the Variety Film Awards editor, uh, new to uh, Variety, who wrote his first piece was um, Chadwick Boseman's Black Panther, what Chadwick Boseman's Black Panther legacy means. And he talks about, you know, what it will mean for generations to come of, you know, people of color seeing somebody on the screen that they can say that that's me. You know, and I think that that's also really important because that's what 
you know, T'Challa represents is, you know, inclusivity. And I think that's what Chadwick Boseman was always very conscientious of when it came to, you know, choosing roles and being, you know, positioned as a movie star, you know, and as a black man and as being somebody that, you know, had to kind of walk a certain walk within the industry and be cognizant of, the film roles that he was choosing and what that represented to his community. And I think he was a shining example of not only a movie star, but an actor that was really just getting started. And yeah, I feel like part of that has been taken away, but you can look at like, you know, people like, I mean, obviously Heath Ledger and, and Philip Seymour Hoffman have been mentioned, but even someone like James Dean, who was only in three movies, but still to this day, the work and, you know, the imagery of him in film will always be remembered. And I think that there will always be a place for Chadwick Boseman on the big screen and people will not forget him. Yeah. Very well put. Um, yeah. And I just hope, um, yeah, I, I hope Marvel and like you said, with black Panther being so, so important, like you, 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 I hope they use that next movie because, like, I don't think we need to go into details of, like, oh, how can they proceed without him uh, recasting or – which they can't do um, – or how they want to move forward. And we had a little bit of a conversation uh, about this when you're over, and I don't think it's important at all. But what I do think is important is just I, I hope it's utilized as an opportunity to, you know, uh, in his honor and his memory, like – because I do think he was an important actor and an important character, especially for, you know, like you said, for generations and 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 for people of color and and just like how imp- that movie is just massively, massively important on a on a global scale. And I just hope that they take Black Panther two, whatever it's going to be now, and respectfully um, pay tribute to him in in a very powerful way. That's all I. I hope to see from Black Panther 2. I don't care how they proceed otherwise. I mean, I still think it's important that to have those conversations down the line, but my biggest thing is like I think that will be a great opportunity and I don't think there's any there's no other film or film franchise that could do that obviously. Um like you can't like obviously we'll always have 42 and get on up and the movies that you mentioned Eric and people can watch them and see great performances from him. But I think we have an opportunity in the MCU being as massive as it is um, to not take advantage of his death and make it part of the plot for entertainment purposes, but, um, but utilize him to honor him in, in a very, very special way um, that you couldn't maybe necessarily do in other means. So that's what I'm more uh, that I hope. And I know Kevin Feige and I know Ryan Coogler, especially like um, is probably just absolutely, um, gutted right now not from you know by losing a a friend and just everyone who's worked with him and his family i can't even imagine his his wife and uh yeah i just uh i it's just difficult and um it's just so so shitty but uh if we do anything right now go back and watch some of those movies that we mentioned and uh, I put on Black Panther the other day and I just recently watched it like with Nevis when we were doing our MCU, like my yearly rewatch of the MCU. Um, and it was tough to watch, man, but it was very inspiring too. And, and uh, um, 
I just go watch a Chaz, Chadwick Boseman movie, pay tribute to the man, go read some of the nice words his his colleagues and friends have, have written about him, and um, just uh, rest in peace to a a great actor and an, and a, a cultural icon that has gone way way too soon. Yeah, and there's still one more movie that will be released later this year um, through Netflix called Ma Rainey's uh, Black Bottom, which is based on an August Wilson play. Um, So it'll be exciting to at least see one more uh, performance from him. So, um, yeah, rest in peace, Chadwick Boseman, you know, the the work will always be appreciated and, you know, we're grateful for the time that, you know, Mm -hmm. he gave to the rest of the world. Yeah. Um, we'll, let's move on. Um, let's speed around through a lot of this stuff. Um, and then, uh, we'll wrap up. So, um, the Batman filming has already paused, um, because Robert Pattinson, uh, (laughs) has COVID, um, which is not funny. It's just, um, a horrible situation and maybe a sign that maybe it's a little too early to get, you know, things going and ramped up, um, on things. So, uh, they started shooting again in London, I believe. Um, and there was a rumor that not a rumor, but it was confirmed that someone on the set, uh, uh, got COVID. Um, and now variety reports, uh, variety reported that it is, um, Robert Pattinson who tested positive. Uh, there are reports now that they've continued filming without Robert Pattinson, um, as he's in quarantine, self quarantine right now. So he'll have to quarantine for, you know, at least 14 days, uh, and hopefully recover, um, uh, and, and be healthy as ever. But, uh, they, I guess they're doing any scenes without him as well as some stuff that his stunt double can do. So, um, hopefully he's doing all right. Um, but what I take from this is that, all right. If the, your biggest star in your biggest movie um, gets COVID on the same weekend, you release a gigantic film and tell people to go to theaters to see it. Maybe which not also star co-stars Robert, Robert Pattinson. Pattinson. Maybe it's a little too early to be doing this, but I don't know. Yeah, no, I agree. I, I to be honest, I think that they should have probably halted filming altogether and waited those two weeks because who knows who could have also contracted it From during him, the yeah. time that Pattinson was on set. So, right. Cause it could take a while or someone could be asymptomatic. Right. And like, uh, it's just, it's, and we a- want the Batman movie. Oh, God, we we yeah. love that trailer, but we want people to be safe and, you know, healthy. people's health is comes first. I don't care if you have yeah. to delay Batman 47 times. What I want is I don't want your makeup artist who worked on Robert Pattinson getting COVID and sick or giving it to their kids or, or whoever, like that's more important than seeing Batman next year or whatever. So I don't know. It, it's so tricky. Like I understand that we need to, you know, get going on some things, but I think it, you really like if, I don't know, it's just, if your biggest star has gotten it, then who knows who else on your crew has. And just like in general, I I just don't know how we can move forward with a lot of this stuff until we actually have a good idea of how to contain it. But certain countries are better than others, but, um, kind of shit news. Hopefully Robert's doing all right. And that, um, uh, it seems like they're trucking along without him, which is interesting. Um, 
keeping in that, I mean, uh, another good segue. So Tenet uh, was released in uh, U.S. theaters this past weekend. Um, people eagerly anticipating it, and its box office numbers came in, and just over, just north of twenty million dollars, which includes some Canadian box office, but I wasn't clear on which weekends it included. Um, so it's adding to 150 million plus globally for Tenet. Um, I've seen some people kind of shitting on these numbers going like, oh man, put it out too early and which is all probably t- true. Um, but I just, to me, I, I was saying this off air to you, Inception, $60 million opening weekend. That's a decade ago. So you got to think, Nolan's probably even more popular now than he was before. Inflation, just of ticket prices, which would be slightly higher. If Inception gets released today, maybe it gets up to 80, 80 million. Cause I still think Nolan's, you know, his non big franchise, like his stuff is still his Batman movies made obviously an obscene amount of money and his movies always do super, super well, but uh, his heady sci-fi stuff like an inception always did slightly less and and had long legs though um so 20 million 30 percent of you know it inception's opening weekend but you're dealing with 70 percent of theaters being open at 50 to 70 percent capacity um do you take this as a failure or do you just think that it's a sign of you know how how they released it like what do they expect i think it's the latter i think we're in a pandemic. Not every movie theater in North America is open for business, especially in the U S especially in some of the biggest, um, you know, cities that would, you know, rake in that revenue, you know, LA, New York, DC, LA, there's a couple that have opened, but it's still relatively, you know, lower numbers and, and understandably. So, I mean, what, what do you expect? This is, the you know a blockbuster getting basically what is an indie movie release it's rolling out on a platform style release that will take time and you know its accumulation will you know dictate over the months ahead you know will will more people slowly but surely like in canada and ontario specifically you know feel safe enough to go out and i think it will be one of those films that will weirdly be like a roadshow movie where, you know, over time people will go and see it, but you're not going to get that, you know, instant gratification box office like we did a year ago. You know, it's not going to make the, and and especially now because kids are going back to school anyways. So it's like, you're releasing it, you know, a couple weeks before kids go back, you know, now kids are, going back to school and it's like, well, they're not going to necessarily like September is a dead zone. So it doesn't have the, it doesn't have any other real competition from now until wonder woman. And that's also a WB movie. So, um, yeah, I mean, it's, it, what do you expect? And, and it's interesting because we went to the theater for both that and new mutants back to back on, on a Wednesday and Thursday night and returning was interesting because it was the first time I had been inside a building for six months. Um, and then on top of that, seeing you again yeah. in person was nice. Um, but also like just seeing, you know, who wore a mask and who didn't during the whole screening. Um, the anxiety, I think there was more anxiety 
building up to going into the building with you, Nevis, and our friend Mike Muntz. Um, and also just kind of fiddling with my glasses to find the yeah. best way to, to watch. It wasn't the best, yeah. But having said that, once the movie began, it felt like no time had passed. It felt like, you know, Bloodshot was the last thing I saw in at the Scotiabank Theater. And then, you know, like the next day I was seeing Tenant. And like, you know, like, because we go to the movie so often, it's not like this... It's like riding a bicycle, but not in the sense that it's like, you know, we get back on and we start riding and we're used to it. Where I can understand if somebody hasn't gone to the movie or doesn't go regularly, that might feel even more of an event. Yeah. Per se. No, I feel you. And I mean, it's a great time to talk about it. Yeah. And uh, because we haven't really discussed what we felt about Tenant, which you guys can check out our review, but we haven't talked about that experience. And yeah, I'm kind of with you where I didn't really have much anxiety. I I had more anxiety, I guess, leading up to it in the sense of buying tickets and deciding if we were going to go or not, rather than when I was there. Cause when I was there, I was already fully committed and I, I, I believed I did my research and I, I was pretty comfortable in, you know, the number of cases we had in Durham region and especially in Whippy and Oshawa. And like, I was, I was pretty okay with the decision we made and I was, I was nervous, but excited to get back into the cinema. And I realized as we were going in and I saw you and Mike and, and Nevis was with us as well, like you mentioned, and, um, it felt normal and it felt like home. And, um, it didn't feel like there was six months in between time of, of, you know, I guess I see you on video every week when we're, you know, recording and things like that. So it didn't really feel like that. Like I hadn't seen you or talked to you. Um, so that didn't really feel weird. It was a little weird to see you in person. And then as we got in, it's very strange. Like they just look at your ticket. They didn't scan anything. Um, there's kind of like almost a door, like a door list, like you're going into a club or something. Like they check your name off of a, a list or whatever that you ended up coming um, to the movie. Um, that's probably so they can do like um, contact tracing in case anyone who went to the theater uh, had COVID, they could probably reach out to whoever was in that screening or or whatever. Um the concession uh, was all blocked off. You lined up six feet apart. You could buy popcorn or snacks or or drinks, but they had people at each station and you had to ask people for what you want, which is, I guess, what most concession places still are. But at Whippy Landmark, which is the theater we went to, it was they changed it to all self-serve, right? So they kind of had to change that back again to be a little bit of a grab-and-go style. So even I ordered a cherry Coke, um, I didn't feel like I needed to get food or anything, but I wanted a drink. So they handed you the cup with the lid already on, but you still went to the Coke freestyle, but they had these blockers up between each station and they would come and clean it right after you left. So they go, go to number seven or whatever. And there'd be numbers on each one. Um, And then when we were in the theater, yeah, I'm with you where it just felt kind of normal again and then like i got a little bit emotional i guess as the movie trailers were playing um like when black widow or or whatever um david harbour just brought a tear to your eye yeah well like i just i i was emotional because i'm like oh my god i missed this i really really did um and sure it's not like a huge event but i mean it was a big event movie but and i i i just felt like ah okay watching stuff at home isn't the same I understand that it is sometimes better um, 
and sometimes easier. And I understand if you are someone who goes, I don't need to go to the movies. I want to watch something at home. But for me personally, sitting in that movie theater, I go, oh man, like I did miss this. I did miss the big screen and and sound. And no matter all the annoying things you hate about the movies, I kind of missed it. Um, and Landmark is great where, you know, they have proper masking. They have pretty good sound. Um, and, uh, the people were pretty respectful. Um, a lot of them would take their masks off in the cinema cause you were allowed to do that to eat. Um, but then they never put their masks back on, um, which I'm not the biggest fan of, but the way that they laid out the IMAX theater we were in was pretty, pretty well laid out. Like it was checkerboarded. So, um, you know, it was like two, big space two, big space two, and then there'd be space two, space two. So you'd kind of be checkerboarded and there was a row in front of us and behind us that was empty uh, in the IMAX theater. Um, So I felt like I had enough space. And even though people had their masks off, I didn't feel uncomfortable because they were far enough away where I didn't feel like it bothered me that much. Um, in new mutants the next night, which, so we went back the next night and your glasses fogging, Eric, I also had that issue throughout all of tenant and it annoyed the shit out of me. Um, so the next night you got to put it over your mask, the, the your yeah. glasses over your mask, over your nose. I wore contacts the next night, so I didn't have to deal with that. Um, and I, I thought that was obviously better. Um, cause I, we kept our masks on throughout the entire film cause we weren't really eating other than I would pull it down to have a drink of, uh, uh, cherry Coke or whatever. Um, for new mutants, it was a little different cause we were in one of the recliner theaters. So we were kind of, um, we were the only people in a row. It was me, you and Mike. Um, but they didn't space out like a row in front and behind cause it was a smaller theater. And in the way that those theaters are set out anyway, you have a lot of space between you and the person who's behind you. Um, like even on a regular day, if you were all like, I don't feel, I love those landmark recliner theaters because I never feel claustrophobic. Like we could buy a seat in the middle of that row and I feel comfortable because you have enough space to get up and walk in front of people, even when they're fully reclined. So I never feel trapped or I never feel like arm to arm with someone. Right. So I felt pretty good during new mutants as well, where it was both screenings were quote unquote sold out. Um, but you know, to the capacity that they could have for that theater. So, um, that by the second night, it just felt like going to the movies with you and Mike again. And it didn't feel like it was anything weird. Um, they're obviously wearing the mask was weird and things like that. Mind you, I wish I liked the two movies a little bit more. Um, so it was kind of a bummer that way of this, this, this giant buildup of going back and then being zero for two for, for movies I enjoyed, um, seeing. So, I don't know the experience. I thought they're doing a pretty good job at keeping everything, you know, pretty safe. I felt like most people were following the rules. Um, there was a family in tenant that I feel like were in the wrong seats, but, uh, they weren't close enough to me. So I wasn't going to say anything. And, uh, most people were respectful. So I, I don't know. I, I felt pretty good overall, but again, like we said in our reviews and we've said over and over again, do your research in your own, city or district or wherever you live and and make the 
safe decision and the right decision. So keep an eye on cases, see how, you know, uh, community uh, tracing and everything's going. And just, if you believe that it is okay, and there's always going to be a risk, obviously, you have no idea that you're going into a enclosed room with, you know, 50 other strangers. Um, There's always going to be a risk, but just try to do your research beforehand. And just because Eric and I had an okay experience uh, those two nights doesn't necessarily mean it's the same thing in your town. Yeah, I would agree with, with that as well. I think it's always important to do the research and don't feel obligated or feel like you, you know, you should go out or you have to go out because other people are doing it or other film, like, you know, people in the film community like us, because we, you know, we live in Durham and we felt that it was safe enough to do it. That doesn't necessarily mean that your town or community is in the same position or, you know, vice versa. It's, 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 you know, it's always important to make sure to know your surroundings and to know what is going on and to be as educated as possible. Um, and obviously to take the, those precautions necessary, uh, you know, wear the mask, always have maybe hand sanitizer available to you. Um, even if you have like a smaller uh, pocket size one, don't always rely on um, the place that you're going to, to have it. Um, you know, and, and, and again, I think ultimately if you're feeling it even at all apprehensive or maybe a little bit withdrawn about doing it, then don't, there's no shame. It's in also that, okay. You know? Yeah. And these movies, you'll get to see them eventually. And like we just said, <laughs> both of these films, you can watch worth, at home. And you're fine. And they're not even worth, well, I mean, they're probably worth checking out at home, but um, you would have been fine watching them at, or I would have been fine watching them at home. So um, yeah, there's nothing you need to rush out to go see at a cinema right now. And I, Again, I want cinemas to thrive and succeed. But again, going back to the the Batman stuff we were talking about, I want people to be safe first and foremost. And if the collateral damage on that is is you know multiplexes are struggling, like obviously they employ a lot of people, and I don't want to see people you know lose their source of income and things like that. And there's got to be a way we can figure this shit out. But right now, it's just you don't need to rush out. We went and saw those movies. Our jobs are to tell you if it's worth seeing or not um i wouldn't have told you to go you know risk your life to go see it anyway but um they're definitely not worth it so i think i was more bummed that and we talked uh with 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 jay wadley as well about this i think it was more bummed that we didn't get to see i'm thinking of ending things on a big screen than tenant and the new mutants absolutely and um uh, we would have been lucky. We probably would have been able to, whether it played TIFF or played Lightbox or whatever, we probably would have been able to see that. And hopefully one day we are, but yeah, it's, um, that was our experience. I don't have any plans of going back until probably Wonder Woman, like you mentioned, if that, um, that will probably be the next thing that you and I venture out to, um, depending so. on, on, you know, the current information of that course, we're given because yes. it, it always changes. It right? changes on so. a daily basis. So I mean the one that we will look into going to see if that that probably makes more sense. We will inquire about it and make sure because cases are going up here in Ontario. Durham region is still okay. It's mostly Toronto and York region. Durham only had four cases or whatever. Um, please don't come to Durham. Yeah, stay away, please. Don't come to Landmark. I know we talk about how great of a cinema it is, but don't. Um, anyways, I think I'm going to call it there, Eric. We have some more stuff, but I feel like we covered the big stuff. 
And yeah. um, we can talk about this stuff at another time because we're hitting the two hour mark and we've been podcasting for like five hours today. <laughs> so uh, thank you all for listening. Uh, five hours of podcasting today. Um, you guys can go check out a lot of that. You can go over to Untitled Movie Conversations, which is our brand new podcast we just launched, where you can listen to our newest conversation, which Eric just mentioned, is with Jay Wadley, who is the composer uh, for the original score and ballet of I'm Thinking of Ending Things, the new Charlie Kaufman movie, which is now streaming on Netflix. So please go check that out on all podcasts services everywhere that is untitled movie conversations uh go check that out um other reviews on this channel uh we have reviews out right now for um not on this channel sorry we have another podcast i don't know what show we're doing um we have another podcast called untitled movie reviews where eric and i get together and for you know uh, 15 to 25 minutes we review a new release film uh, so you can go check out our new release uh, new reviews for Boy State Class Action Park I'm thinking of ending things uh, Disney's Mulan uh, Disney's The Mut- New Mutants and uh, Tenant uh, which we mentioned right now so go check those out and then um, I don't need to plug this podcast because you're already listening to it um, as always my name is Matt Rohrbeck uh, you can find more of my work around the internet uh, but mostly at untitledmoviepodcast.com and you can follow me on all the social medias at Matt Rohrbeck I'm usually bumming around letterboxed and twitter and I'm Eric March and you can find more of my video reviews at rogerstv.com slash cinema scene and on the social medias at em621 as mentioned before like Matt Letterbox. Twitter, that kind of thing. We also have um, social media accounts for the Untitled Movie Podcast, uh, Untitled underscore cast. Uh, You can uh, rate and subscribe on your podcast of choice. And we encourage anybody who has the time to do so to please uh, rate and review us. We really, really would appreciate it. It, 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 makes our days a a, a little brighter and it's exciting to hear any feedback, both critical or complimentary. Um, We really do appreciate it. Until next time. Rest in peace, Chadwick Boseman.